0: Awesome, awesome. Well, you guys can have a seat. It's so good to see all of you in the house of the Lord. Come on, whether you're online or whether you're here in person, it's such a joy to have you with us today. Uh, Any of you loving the hot and cold kind of rhythm right now of our weather? It's so weird. It's so weird. It's like, will you just be cold or will you just be hot for Pete's sakes? You know, because I don't know about you, but it does some work on my, uh, my uh what do you call it your sinuses or whatever that is you know it's like you're you're like what is happening to me and and then you just want to like lay down you ever feel that way you just want to lay down and be like "Uh." that's kind of how i feel this morning so pray for me in jesus name all right um but hey i um, I've been thinking about something, and I just want to uh, this doesn't have anything to do with the message, but I just wanted to share it with you just so that you're aware of what's happening in our church. but I was looking at the finances the other day and and uh, I do that quite often and 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 one of the things I noticed is year over year, I was really impressed by something what i what I noticed was that year over year our church is about forty six percent higher than we were last year in our giving. Can you imagine? I mean, isn't that amazing to think about that our church is 46% higher than last year at this point in the year? Uh, And I was just so amazed by that. Because what that means is, is that we have a people that believe in God, they believe in the church, and they trust God with their finances that they trust God with their finances. And, and uh, one of my favorite series to do is coming up in November. Some of you love it. Some of you hate it. I don't know. But it's one of my favorites. And it's on. It's, uh, it's really something that we do pretty, well, we do it annually, and it's called The Blessed Life. And uh, I am so excited about that series this year. But, but I wanted to mention it because I want you to know that as a church, how proud I am of you. For giving so faithfully to the things that God, because see even that stuff down in Florida, we wouldn't be able to do without your giving. I mean, God is doing this in our midst, and so thank you for being so faithful to tithe and to give your sacrificial offerings. But here's here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Sometimes people ask me, Pastor, what can I pray about? Like what what is it that you would like for me to pray about? And so here's, here's what I've done is I've placed a number out there, and it's arbitrary. It's not like, I, I, you know, it was just some you know, like God came to me in a vision. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that this was the number that I wanted to see us reach. And so my heart is to see our church reach that $600,000 mark with this year. And so we're about, oh, uh, I would, well, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> But I'm telling you this, we're doing great. So I'm not worried about the money. I just want to believe God for more. You know what I mean? I just want to be in faith and believe God for more. So what I'm asking you to do is pray with me and pray with our team to, to, to believe God that we're going to finish the year with $600,000 in offerings coming in. Come on. Can we do that? Can we, can we just pray and ask God? Regardless of, of what happens, we'll leave that in God's hands. But we're just going to believe God that he's going to do something and uh, trust God to see what he does. Okay? Can we do that? All right, all right. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate you um, partnering with me in prayer about those things. But I wanted to just kind of center our hearts again as we think about what the Lord wants to say to us today. Would you pray with me? God, we truly need to hear from you this morning. And so, Father, would you speak? I pray that you would open your word to us, that your word would speak loud and clear. God, in any weakness that I have, Lord, would you be strong? Would you be strong? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, hey, uh, we are continuing a series today called Monsters in the Closet, and if you're wondering what that's about, it's, it's about this idea that all of us, whether we know it or not, have areas of our personality, areas of our personality that aren't always godly. Did you know that? Like there's a there's an aspect of your personality that is amazing, it's it's glorious, it was created by God, but there's also this other side to your personality that sometimes gets in the way. That side of ourselves that isn't necessarily submitted to the things of God. You know what I mean? It's that it's that part of you that people are like. Why do you do that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Why do you act this way? Why are you treating people like that? You know what I'm talking about. And I'm sure that's never been said but for you, but, but I've heard that in my life, is, 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 is that what happens is, is that we can, we can absolutely know who our, what our personality is, what God has made us to be, and all those things, but there always seems to be this side of us, this shadow side, this, this quote, monster in the closet that if squeezed... Come on, put under pressure, either leads to destruction or diamonds. And and the reality is, is that, that, that if we don't address the destruction, if we don't address that side of us that can cause destruction, then what happens is it hijacks something that this series is all about. And that is it hijacks the abundant life that Jesus wants to give all of us. Because I don't know if you believe that the Bible says very clear in John 10 10 that 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 Jesus came to give us Abundant life And so if Jesus came to give us abundant life, that means that he came to give us abundant life That's the truth and we can trust it and because Jesus said it So here's the deal and this is the tension is if i'm not experiencing the abundant life that Jesus promises Then what's the problem? Because the reality is it's me it's not jesus jesus is good we're the ones that have the issue the bible says that we struggle the bible says that we have sin in our life the bible says that there's parts of our life that are not under his care and authority and when that happens we can get off and when we get off of the path that god has for us we then can hijack the abundance that god wants to bring into our lives And so this series is all about trying to tackle that shadow side of who we are. And we've talked about these monsters as being dysfunctional. Here's the definition. Dysfunctional aspects of our personality that can hijack the abundant life that Jesus wants us to enjoy. Or more specifically, our inner urges, compulsions, motivations, and dysfunction that drive us either towards success but at the same time can undermine the very success that we achieve. We see that in leadership all the time, don't we? Men and women who achieve great things, and then they do something that hijacks everything. And so the very success that they had is undercut by the same personality that led them to success. Because see, we all have this side to us that if we don't govern it, if we don't steward it well, it can burn us in the end. And so over the last few weeks, we've talked about how humility is really the beginning of all of it, is recognizing that I have need, that, 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 I'm, don't, that I'm not perfect, right? I, I don't have it all figured out, and I need God. And so humility is the beginning of healing for each one of us. As we, as we begin to ride that monster all the way to the ground, as we begin to look at that particular thing, that we recognize that humility is the beginning. And matter of fact, this is our series verse out of Matthew chapter 18. Listen. Jesus is speaking to a crowd of people and he says this. I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, everybody say children. You will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Verse four. So anyone who becomes as humble as a little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Do you see what Jesus is saying? He's saying that there is a posture there's something about a child that, that there's a humility so to speak that leads to a posture of living that keeps the abundant life in your world and if we don't have this humility we will hijack all that God wants because what happens is you know what happens is we start to think that we're okay. We start to think that we can do it on our own. We, we stop being dependent on God, and we start being dependent on ourselves. And when that happens, we get in trouble. I don't know about you. Have you experienced that in your life? When you've tried to grab hold of something, and it's like, you know what, if I, just, if I just try hard enough, if I just work harder, this thing is going to get better. Have you ever had that happen? Isn't that the most defeating thing in the world? To feel like you've given it everything you got and it still is just awful? Because you can't control it. Because see, one of the things you learn as you grow up is that that, that this idea of control is really an illusion. That yeah, there are certain things that you can control and certain things that you can manipulate, but you have to know that you're not ultimately in charge that God is ultimately in charge and we have to relax and depend on him. And so a couple of weeks ago, we we talked about how control gets us in trouble, that that, that when we trust in ourselves, we're not necessarily trusting in God. When we we want to control things, it doesn't necessarily lead to what we want. And so so we've talked about that. And then in week three of this particular series, this this was one of my favorites. It was just that too much me and my too much me and mine will actually take me down a path that leads me away from God and people. In other words, when I'm self-focused, when I'm looking at my own needs, what can happen is I stop looking at God and I stop looking at other people. One of the best things you can do when you're feeling down, one of the best things you can do when, when, when you're kind of focused on yourself is serve somebody else. Because, see, when you serve somebody else, it gets your focus off of who? You. So that you might see what's going on in the world. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I when I get to this, even today, like, you know, you feel a little ill. You get out of bed, and you're just like, you think about yourself. And you just walk around, and you just want people to feel bad for you. You know what I mean? Like, you do. You just walk around. And I'm probably the worst like that. You know, like, some of you people don't do that, I'm sure. But but are, are any guys in the room that you're like, yeah, that's me? that's me come on guys anybody you would be honest about it now let's ask your wife because she'll say it's you but like you know you get sick and you start to walk around you are like, oh. and what happens is you're like oh me look at me and i don't feel good and all this stuff and you just see yourself you stop seeing everything else you stop seeing everybody else and God doesn't want that for our lives. God wants us to push through the weakness that we feel, recognizing that in our weakness, he's made strong. And that even in the, even in the challenges of life, even in the sicknesses of life, even in the, the long suffering of life, that God still has a plan and a purpose for our life. Even if you're sick today, God has somebody that you're supposed to encourage. You see what I'm getting at? Is that that we get so focused on ourselves that we lose sight. And what happens is then we cut ourselves off from the abundance that Jesus wants to give us by simply being self-focused. And so today we're going to transition a little bit into a new one. Uh, This particular one is a little harder to uh, define. This monster is called the monster of codependency. You're like, oh, what is it? Now, here's the problem with codependency. I don't know about you. It's like narcissism. It's one of those terms that everybody seems to know what it means. You know what I mean? Or they don't know what it means. And matter of fact, if you read definitions of codependency, everybody seems to have an opinion and no one seems to be able to really zero on in exactly what it is. But here's the deal. It, it seems to span across all personalities. It's not just one little thing, you know, like, yeah, that one's got it. No, it seems to dabble in all of the different personalities. Because at the core of, of codependency is, is, is living your life as a young person under very strict rules and regulations where you almost always feel like you don't have a voice. You don't have the ability to communicate whatever is going on with you or inside you. It's not important. And so this this kind of growing up year seems to produce this codependence behavior. And out of this behavior, we see all kinds of things. Now, again, I I can't go into all that. And and truthfully, I'm not a psychologist, and nor do I want to be. But I do know that the way that we grow up The dysfunctional environment sometimes that we grow up in can have an impact on how we relate to people. Did you ever have this moment? Like for some of you that are a little older in the room, like you have this moment. It's like I call it the "aha" moment, where you start to realize what you experienced as a kid wasn't normal. Like it's the weirdest thing in the world. It's a moment of clarity because you grew up in it. You know what I mean? You're like in the you're in the soup and And, and the, as the soup is cooked, you don't feel the heat, you know it's just like I'm just in the soup, everybody's just floating around in this dysfunctional soup, and it's great, and no one knows and then, and like some of the parents in the room are like, "Shut it, you're ruining everything for me." But we grow up in this dysfunctional soup, and the dysfunctional soup then, then, then gives us a perspective on life. And, and, then, and then what happens is we grow up, and we start to rub shoulders with other people, you know, and you, you interact with other people. And, and, and they didn't grow up in the soup that you grew up in. And, and you're like, wait a second. Why, why, why don't you function like I function? Why don't you experience life way? Like, oh, you grew up in a different soup? And your soup didn't produce the same things that are being produced in me. And you have this moment of clarity like, oh, that behavior is really messed up. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you that have done the, you've gone down the path, you've you've figured it out. Now, I'm not saying that moms and dads are bad. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that sometimes what can happen is dysfunctions can kind of be shared when you're sitting in the same soup and it can affect us and that 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 effect can lead to certain behaviors later in life and one of those behaviors is around codependency or i want to zero in a little bit more specifically on codependency because i think codependency sounds a little nebulous I, I, let's go a little deeper and just call it people pleasing people pleasing some of you are like, no, please no. I don't know if you have this in you. I don't know if this is a challenge for you. Uh, but 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 I wanna I want to be gentle as I go through this because see, God doesn't is not against you helping people. God is not against you loving people. God is not against you, quote, pleasing people. So so just 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 keep that in mind as we define both negative and positive people-pleasing. Because see, the Bible talks about both. And we live in this tension of loving people and at the same time, not allowing this shadow side of ourselves to get the best of us to the point that we now are led around by the emotions and the feelings of other people. That's hard to do, isn't it? That's difficult to do sometimes because have you ever had this tension or this thought? I've had it all the time. It's like, I want to be like Jesus, you know? And so I'm supposed to be sacrificial. I'm supposed to be loving. And so that means I have to give of myself to the point of even emptying myself at times. But I found it difficult to know the difference sometimes between being sacrificial with good boundaries and at the same time being people-pleasing, and very unhealthy. It's a tension that I think a lot of Christians deal with because we want to love Christ. We want to follow Christ. We want to serve people. That's what we desire because the Bible tells us to. But sometimes what happens is we go too far and we become people-pleasers and not God-pleasers. And the enemy hijacks the abundance that God wants to bring into our life. Come on, guys, this is good. It's good. God is going to help us today. God's going to help us today. And so we're going to zero in a little bit more on this. And so here's the big idea I want us to have today is a focus on pleasing others will ultimately keep us from pleasing God. A focus on pleasing others will ultimately keep us from pleasing God. Notice I didn't say serving others. I said pleasing others. Now, what I'm about to say is conjecture. And I always say that before I get into the biblical side of this because I don't really know. I didn't know, uh, I didn't know this particular biblical person. I didn't sit there on the couch with him and talk to him or her. I didn't have those moments, okay? So all of what I'm about to say is conjecture. It's speculation. But I think it's reasonable, okay? And so, so I want to talk to you today about a guy named Samson. I don't know if you've heard of Samson. Samson was a real big, strong guy with long hair. Everybody seems to know that about Samson. Uh, But he was was a person that was picked and hand-selected by God to do something very specific. And if you know his story at all, one of the things you know about Samson is that he grew up in an extremely restrictive environment. It was a very restrictive environment. Like I might even call it like an overly religious environment, right? Like some of you are like, yeah, I kind of did that. It wasn't like just like Jesus and love and all Jesus. It was very strict, very rule oriented. And if you broke the rules, bad things happened. You know what I'm talking about. And and so for Samson, he grew up in this environment. And matter of fact, he grew up with a secret. He grew up his whole life with a secret. And his secret was that he couldn't cut his hair. That if he cut his hair, that was the source of his strength. And that if his hair was cut, he would lose all of his strength. So not only did he grow up in a strict religious environment, he grew up with this secret that no one could know. Because if they found out, they might cut his hair. And he would lose all of his strength. And therefore, really lose what God had planned for him. Guys, I don't know about you, but that seems like a lot of pressure to me. Like, if you're a kid, that seems like a lot of pressure to hold on to. Isn't it interesting when we start to look at biblical characters or people in the Bible as human beings? Like, it's just, because it, it, I think, I don't know, I do this all the time. I, I don't think about things like that when I read the story. But as I think about Samson's growing up years, there were kinds of challenges. Because, see, he was a part of what was called a Nazarite order. In other words, he, he was born into... This Nazaritic vow, and this vow was basically it had very strict rules. He couldn't cut his hair. He was prohibited from drinking fermented drinks. He 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 couldn't even eat uh, grapes, like even any grapes. He couldn't have any grapes. I don't know about you, but like I like grapes. Do you like grapes? He couldn't have grapes. Poor kid. Couldn't have any grapes. He had specific dietary requirements. And he was restricted from marrying anyone outside of his people. So that was his vow. Now, normally when someone takes a Nazarite vow, they choose it. Samson didn't have a choice. Matter of fact, he was born into it. So it was not a voluntary thing for him. It was an involuntary thing. Matter of fact, Judges tells us that very clearly. Judges chapter 13, verse 5. Speaking of Samson, he says to Samson's mom, God says to Samson's mom, you will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by the razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite. Dedicated to God from the womb, he will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Now, at this time in history, this was kind of the judge's period. And what what the judge's period of the Bible is, is that, that basically Israel would be cool with God, then they'd do something really stupid, and then God would bring punishment into their lives. God would raise up a judge who would deliver them from this problem, restoring them back to God so that they were with God again. Then they would do something stupid again. And then they would would, would ask God for help. Then God would raise up a judge. The judge would restore them. And then you see what's happening. And then it would just keep going. So the story of Judges is this cycle of where Israel was being disobedient. God would raise up a judge to help them. And Samson was one of those judges. Yeah. God had planned for him to help Israel before he even knew it, before anyone even knew it. And that's a pretty significant thing, I would think. And I think for Samson, he lived on a very under a very heavy load. His environment was very challenging, I think. And some would even suggest that it's the kind of environment... It's the kind of soup that leads to certain behaviors. Samson also had difficulty of living under this. Like, like one day he was walking along, he's walking along, and, and he notices this carcass, you know, everybody, you love to see carcass. Some of you love carcasses. You like pick them up, throw them in your truck, and go make stew. <laughs> Please don't tell me if you do that. It's disgusting. But like he sees this lion carcass, and he notices that in the lion's carcass, there uh, is, a, is a swarm of bees that have, that have gone into the carcass. And they have formed this, this honeycomb, you know, this, this whole kind of thing. And, and so he reaches in, and, and he wants to eat the honey. Now, it, here's the deal. A part of his vow, just as a Jew, was that you didn't touch dead things, Like that like you didn't that would have made you unclean so not only does he go and get unclean he eats the honey out of the carcass everybody go right so he, he eats the honey out of the carcass but it even gets worse not only does he eat the carcass not the carcass the honey in the carcass he takes the honey and he goes back home with it and gives it to his parents and says, Here, eat the honey. And so basically, Samson not only defiles himself, he leads his parents into defilement by giving them the honey too. How messed up is that? Like, I would be so mad at my kid if he brought me honey from a dead lion carcass and didn't tell me about it. It's horrible. <laughs> In addition to that, I don't know if you know Samson's story very well, but he had struggles with women. He had some troubles. Matter of fact, three in particular. He did something that was really, it was just nonsensical because of who he was. He went for three different women, all of which were Philistines. Who was he raised up to deliver Israel from? The Philistines as a Nazarite he was not allowed to marry these kinds of women and so he went ahead and married this Tiamite woman then he had relations with a harlot from Gaza man of God come on and then you hear the story of Delilah you know the song you know Samson and Delilah some of you are like I don't even know what you're talking about (laughs) Romeo and Juliet. Anybody? Nobody? Raise your hand if you got that one. Thank you. A couple of you. Some of you. (laughs) Samson and Delilah. And if you know the story, Delilah convinces him to do what? Cut his hair. Leads to his destruction. Horrible situation. Think about how messed up this is. Samson's not stupid. Like when she starts pressing him, about Tell me about the secrets of your strength. Every time I read the story, I'm like, are you an idiot? Like every time I read it, I'm like, what are you doing, Samson? This girl is going to kill you. And he just keeps going down the path. And eventually he tells the secret and it leads to his destruction. They gouge out his eyes. It's horrible. And I'm just thinking to myself, why in the world would Samson do this? The only thing I can come up with? Well, there's probably a couple of different options. But I guess he wanted to please her. I guess he wanted to make her happy. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons, but, but it's just really weird why he would do it. Have you ever seen somebody do that? That they, they literally do something that self-destructs them, like literally leads to their own demise? And everybody looks on the outside and says, why are you doing this? And I think sometimes it's because we so much want the approval of someone. We so much want that person to be pleased with us. That we do something that destroys the very abundance that God wants to bring into our life. Come on, guys, this is this is intense. One Bible commentary said it this way about Samson in particular. He says, in spite of his great strength, listen to this. He was not strong enough to control his own impulses. Do you see the contrast? Like Samson was strong and he could do, I mean, he did some amazing things with his strength. But the Bible commentary is just simply saying that he had all this strength, but he seemed to have an inability to control his own impulses, his own monsters. He was unable to withstand Delilah's seduction. And even when it became obvious that she was laying a trap for him, he still succumbed to her temptation and walked into it with eyes wide open. He wasn't deceived, friends. He knew where he was headed. That, to me, seems very dysfunctional. And again, it's conjecture. I don't know for sure. But I do know this, that a focus on pleasing others will ultimately lead to me not pleasing God. That if I spend my time focused on pleasing other people, it will lead me away from the abundance that God wants to bring into my life. And so what I want to do for the remainder of our time is I want to create a tension. Matter of fact, I don't need to create it. It's already there. The Bible talks about this tension and the Apostle Paul addresses this tension. Because there is this truth that we are called to love God and love people, right? We're called to love God and love people. And sometimes loving people is sacrificial. Matter of fact, I'd say most of the time it's sacrificial. It's not selfish. It's I give of myself. I empty myself. I pour out my life for others. Yes. But at the same time, is it possible that when I get in that rhythm of loving people, that sometimes maybe I do it for the wrong reasons? Sometimes maybe I'm doing it at a detriment to myself and it can ruin me. See what I'm getting at? It's a tension, isn't it? It's hard to kind of figure out. So the Apostle Paul gives us this tension. He presents a tension for every follower of Jesus today. But here's the thing about the tension. The tension will never be resolved. You will always live in this tension and it's something that every believer in Jesus Christ has to learn to manage, not resolve. There are things like this in life that are never resolved. They're only intended to be managed. And Paul gives us this. Listen to this. So Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 33, says these words. I too try to please everyone. What?! Did did, did you have that moment? What? What do you mean, Paul? So he says, he says, I too try to please everyone in everything I do. I'm confused. He goes on. He says, I don't just do what is best for me. I do what is best for others so that they may be saved. And you, he says this, should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. So he's saying, look, this is how Jesus did it, and this is how you should do it, that you should please other people. You should please everyone in everything you do. You're starting to see the tension. Then in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, he says this. Listen, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. And he says this, if pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Do you notice the tension? He's saying, I try all the time to please people. But then he says, I don't have any interest in pleasing people because I'm only committed to pleasing God. So so he has this tension that he presents. Have you ever had that moment where you read the Bible and you're like, wait a second. And then people say, well, that contradicts something. No, it creates a tension because there are all kinds of people out there that say well all these contradictions in the bible well no not necessarily it might be attention. it might be attention tension that we need to manage because see the bible is nuanced often the bible's nuanced why because life is nuanced life is not always black and white is it i mean it's just not life is nuanced and so sometimes the bible creates a nuance or this this tension that we're all responsible for as believers to live in and so here's the thought i want to give you christians must persistently strive to please people and at the same time passionately avoid striving to please people (laughs) do you see the problem you're like, wait a second. Can you just tell me what's right? I am telling with you what's right. It's both and. It's not either or. It's a both and way of living. And oftentimes the Bible calls us to this both and kind of living. And so what I want to do for the remainder of our time is just very specifically walk through what does a life that is displeasing to God in terms of people pleasing look like? And what does a life that is pleasing to God in terms of people-pleasing look like to God? Because I think if we get this tension right, it will help us live better lives unto the Lord. So the first one I want to deal with is the codependent soup, is the people-pleasing soup that that, that we can live in, the dysfunctional side of our lives that can hijack what, what, what God wants to bring into us. And so here's the thought. This is God despising. Listen, God despising people pleasing. So God is not okay with this. He doesn't like it. He's not good with it. This is what he wants us to see. see. See, some of us are almost totally and reluctantly captive to the desires of others. Let me say that again. Some of us are totally and reluctantly, even though we may not say it, but we feel it, we're reluctantly captive to the desires of others. In any situation, this sinful impulse tempts us to do and say and think about what other people think and what other people will say. You ever had this feeling that you just feel this tension, that you're always concerned about what everybody else is going to think or say, and somehow it guides your decision-making? And it's hard because, again, I'm not picking on you. I'm just simply saying that that, that this is a reality that many of us face. We meticulously, even unconsciously calculate how each person will respond to each decision and, and then do what will make most people happy or at least the least people unhappy. Do you know what I'm talking about? This kind of people pleasing becomes an exhausting treadmill of micromanaging situations, conversations, and relationships. It just wears us out. And Jesus tells us in Matthew six twenty-four, he says, friends, you can't serve two masters. Yeah, yeah. He says, you'll serve one at the neglect of the other. And we as believers in Jesus Christ are to have one master. And our master is to be the Lord. And so when we are in relationships where that other person is the master, then do you see how that creates a problem? And some of us are in relationships where God is not the master of those relationships. The person is. Or maybe you are. And it leads to ultimately serving one over the other at the detriment of what we say is most important to us, which is God. And we walk through life with our umbilical cord in some ways attached to somebody else. And they tell us what to do. They tell us what to think. Are you okay? 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 And it can lead to a very dysfunctional experience of life. And here's the thing you gotta see, guys. It will take away the abundance that Jesus wants to bring you. Now, can you live that way? Yeah, you can deal with it. All the way to heaven, you can deal with it. You can still be saved and be dependent on somebody else. But God doesn't want that for you. He wants you to make a decision that's different. And so Paul goes on to say this in 1 First Theth- First Thessalonians chapter 2, verses, six, or verses 4 through 6. Listen. For we speak as messengers approved by God. To be entrusted with the good news. And then watch what he says. Our purpose is to please God, not people. So, Paul very clearly tells us that we're called to please God, not people. Our big idea for today says that if we focus on pleasing others, we will ultimately stop pleasing God. Jesus tells us we can't serve two masters. Are you with me? And we live in attention. And so, we have to have our eyes wide open to this reality this tension that we all can live in regardless of our personality. Some of us lean more than the other, but at the end of the day, we all have this tendency. And then Paul goes on to say, he says, he alone examines the motives of our hearts. Never once did, and he's talking to the people of Thessalonica. He says, never once did we try to win you with flattery. He's like, I'm not not interested in flattering you. He says, as you well know, and God as is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. (laughs) He says, as for human praise, we have never sought it from you or anyone else. So he's laying it out for us, isn't he? He's like, I preach the gospel. I do what God tells me to do, and I do it not to get your approval. I do it not to flatter you or to make you... Oh, I don't even do it to get your money. How often have we accused pastors of doing that? And I'm not saying that there aren't pastors out there that want to get your money. But I'm saying that we preach the gospel not to get money. We preach the gospel so that people can be saved. We preach the gospel so that you and me can be transformed so that we can stop the people-pleasing and start living God-pleasing lives. That's why we preach the gospel. And so Paul is very clearly saying that it's not about you being flattered. It's not about you liking everything that I say, though I wish you would. I wish you would laugh at all my jokes. I wish you would cheer me on every time I say something profound. Yay! And if I'm honest, I do like that. But if it becomes the thing I'm seeking, then it takes me off track. If I'm about human praise, then I'm not about the gospel. Because the gospel oftentimes speaks contrary to what humans want. I would say most of the time. And so... Paul just simply says, I'm not about that. I'm not about about pleasing you in order to get God. No, no, I'm not about pleasing you at the detriment of pleasing God. And so that's the side of this that we have to hold in tension. But here's here's how I want to end today. That's clear. Hopefully that's clear to you. But it doesn't mean that there's not a side of your life as a follower of Jesus or someone who wants to follow Jesus that isn't focused on helping people, serving people sacrificially, even to your own detriment. Isn't that true? Isn't that what Jesus did? Jesus sacrificed himself for you and for me. I mean, the Bible says that Jesus humbled himself unto death. That's what it says. And so if he's my model, if he's the one I'm looking towards, then that means I should be willing to give my life for the gospel. I should be willing to give my life for the things of God and to see people saved. That's why we're so impressed with people that go across the world and lose their lives when they're sharing the gospel with people. We're amazed that they would be willing to do that. Do do at any point do you think, well, they were just people pleasers. No, you don't think that at all. Why? Because their motive was pure. Their motive was about the gospel. It wasn't about themselves. And you see that so clearly in someone being willing to lay down their own life. And so we ultimately have to choose how we're going to live We either live to please Christ or we live to please other people. And what happens is then we are at war with Christ when we live in that way. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be at war with Christ. Because I I just want to let you in on a secret. You're going to lose that one. Whether you lose it directly with him or whether you lose it because the enemy is now your friend. You're going to lose it. And so you might as well get Christ at the center of your life, especially... Hey, look, if, I'm just going to tell you this. If you're a follower of Jesus today, I'm just going to... I got to be honest with you. You need to just go ahead and submit yourself to Jesus. You would be better... I'm just saying this. You would be better than to not follow God, than to follow Him halfway. Because you will be tormented in your spirit if you follow Him halfway. That's a scary thought, isn't it? That's why the Bible says we choose. We we would rather you be hot or cold, not lukewarm. Because if you're lukewarm, you will be tormented because you will live in two worlds and live in a constant tension, and that tension will ultimately destroy you. Whoo, amen stopped on that, didn't it? Jesus. And so we can't live perfectly with Christ or peacefully with Christ while we submit first and foremost to the desires and demands of others. But here's the thing you got to see. Number 2 is that God-pleasing people pleasing looks like this. Watch in 1 Corinthians 10:33. Go back to that. 1 Corinthians 10:33. Look. Go back to 1 Corinthians 10:33. I want to read the whole chapter here. You got it? I too, there it is, good. I too try to please everyone in everything that I do. I don't just do what is best for me. I do what is best for others so that many may be saved. Do you see the context of why he's doing it? He's doing it so that people will be saved. He he does certain things so that more people will come into the kingdom of God. He says to them, and you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. So so what he's saying is that if you're going to be a people pleaser, make sure you're a people pleaser that is committed to seeing the gospel, that seeing the gospel come to reality in someone else's life. Not getting your own needs met, not getting... Someone else's needs met. No, no, you're committed to doing something in order to see people come into the kingdom of God. Then let's go back here to 1 Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians 10, verse 32. So one verse above what I just read. Paul says this Don't give offense to Jews or Gentiles or the church of God. So before he says anything in 33, he says, don't give offense to Jews and Gentiles. So it's kind of interesting. So he's, he's painting the picture. He says, all of the Jews and Gentiles don't give offense to them, which is kind of a curious thing, because if you've ever read Paul, I don't always feel like he's all that concerned about giving offense. So he says, don't give offense to the Jews and the Gentiles. Why does he say don't give offense to the Jews and the Gentiles? Well, he's saying don't give offense to the Jews and the Gentiles because he wants to make sure that the gospel can be heard. Can you imagine if I came up in the room and I insulted all of you before we get started? You'd have a hard time listening to what I have to say. Now, some of you who are gluttons for punishment would be like, yes, hit me again. But most people would be like, no. And so he says, don't give offense to Jews and Gentiles, right? He says, don't give offense to them. And and, and, and it's important because if you give offense, then they won't hear you. They won't hear what you have to say. They may not accept the gospel. They may not be transformed in the image of Christ. And so it's so important that we understand that when Paul tells us to be people pleasers, he's telling us to be people pleasers who don't give offense unnecessarily so that someone won't respond to the gospel it's not the dysfunctional soup kind of stuff it's a very specific people pleasing that is absolutely committed to the advancement of the kingdom of God and so I want to just draw out a few thoughts here and then we'll be done the first is, is make sure you aren't trying to please yourself by pleasing people let me say that again Because I'm not sure you all got that. Make sure you aren't trying to please yourself by pleasing others. Here, this this is how it works. You're trying to garner praise from someone else by the things that you do to, quote, please them. Do you see that that's not in line with the gospel's advancement? It's a manipulative motivation that you're now trying to get praise from someone else by the very kindness that you're showing. If you're an Enneagram number two, you need to watch out here. If, you, if you've ever taken an Enneagram test. Number twos, watch out here. Because what twos do is they really love people well. I mean, they are great at loving people. But sometimes their shadow side is that they can love people to get the approval of people. To be loved. Because they so much want to have love. And so when we garner praise by the things that we do or we want that or desire that more than we want to see the person be free or to receive the gospel, then we have a problem and that people-pleasing is dysfunctional. And then another one is make sure you desire approval from God more than you desire approval from people. Make sure that you're... Like, have you ever done something at church and not been thanked? And then secretly got mad. Is that okay? See, we do what we do unto the Lord, not to be thanked. Now, is it nice to be thanked? Of course it is. I love to be thanked. I love to receive praise. Who doesn't? But when we do it to get it, our motive is impure. And it's not a service unto God now. It's something that goes forth with strings attached. And those strings lead to dysfunction and expectation that lead to pain. And pain leads to destruction. And destruction leads to disunity in the church. And all kinds of bad things can happen because now you're friends with the devil and not friends with God. Woo! Glory to God, loving it. And then finally, make sure you strive to not offend unnecessarily. That you strive not to offend unnecessarily. Because quite frankly, Paul was not that concerned about offending people. Matter of fact, look at this. He wrote this. I love this. He says, Galatians 5.12, he says, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. (laughs) If he was offended, or if he was concerned about offending people, I'm not sure he would have wrote those lines. But what he was saying is, I don't care. Because at the end of the day, they're hurting you, and if they're hurting you, then they need to be emasculated, is what he says. So he's not all that concerned about offending people, so what is it? He's saying, don't offend people unnecessarily, because the gospel is offensive, The gospel can be offensive. The truth of God can be offensive to our world, to our culture, to our own lives. And if it's not, I'm concerned it's not the gospel because the gospel is here to help correct us and teach us and and bring reproof into our lives, not just encouragement. Come on. That's what the Bible says. And so if that's true, then that means I need to be willing to allow the gospel to read me, to quote, offend me so that I can get better. But what he's saying is don't offend people unnecessarily that somehow it leads to that person not wanting to accept the glory and the beauty and the splendor of who Jesus is. Don't live your life in such a way. Don't ask from people things that you shouldn't ask from them in such a way that it leads to them not wanting the gospel. Don't live your life longing for the approval of people. Live your life longing for the approval of God. How often do we sit there and we make a post on social media and we want somebody to like it, approve of it? Oh, say that I'm good. Say that I'm clever. Oh, I'm witty. And we spend so much time waiting on that and not enough time waiting on the Father to reinforce who I'm supposed to be. And so God, help us to be people who, who long for the pleasing of God and not just the pleasing of ourselves or the pleasing of people. Unless the gospel's at stake, then you do everything you possibly can to be what that person needs you to be in order that they would accept the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus and do nothing with your life that would cause that person not to want to accept the love of Jesus. That's a tension. And we live in this tension, and this is what God calls us to. And if we're ever going to experience the abundance of life that Jesus wants, then we have to wrestle this monster to the ground, this people pleasing monster, because it will steal, kill, and destroy everything that God wants to bring into our life. And so, my heart for us today is that we all would experience the rich and abundant life of Jesus as we wrestle this monster to the floor. And so here's what I, I want to ask you as we close. Was there any point in here that you saw yourself? Was there any point in here that maybe as I gave you some descriptions, you were like, yeah, that's, I, can, I can relate to that. Maybe it was a little. Maybe it was a lot, you know? I mean, here's the thing. We're all in process. We're all in need of a God that is more than able to help us. And so my heart for us today is that we would, really through this whole series, my heart is that we would just see what it is. Because that's half the battle, isn't it? Just noticing a, a problem and then saying to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I see this as a problem in my life and I need you to heal me. I need you to help me because I can't do it without you. And so what I want to do is just pray for anybody that would say that, yeah, this is me. Uh, This is definitely the monster I wrestle with. So I want to pray for you, and let's just pray together. God, I thank you for your word and how it shapes us, it challenges us, it helps us, Lord. God, some of us in this room are living that tension well. We are are pleasing you, and we are loving people the right way. But God, I know that in this room, there are some, if they're honest, would say, you know what? I'm I'm living a people-pleasing life that is not satisfying. A people-pleasing life that isn't pleasing to God. And I need help. And so I want to pray for anybody in this room that would say that's their story. Father, I want to pray specifically for anybody that would say that that's me. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you begin the process of healing? Holy Spirit, would you come? If that's you, just simply say to the Lord, Lord, I need your help. I want to ask your forgiveness for trying to serve two masters. I want you on the throne of my life. I want to please you only. But God, I recognize that I've got some stuff that's getting in the way of that. And so Lord, would you help me today? Would you help me identify whatever's in my story that's causing that kind of behavior, any pain, any unforgiveness, God, that, that is causing this dysfunction in me. I want to be a person, a follower of Jesus that, that lives free from this. I want to be on the path to life an abundance. And so God, I ask for you to remove that from my life that that remove the, the, the sin and would you replace it with your spirit and power that I might overcome and that I might live a life solely committed to you and you first in my life. Thank you, Jesus. As we continue to pray, Jesus so clearly says to us, you can't serve two masters. You'll end up serving one or the other really at the detriment of the other. And the Bible says that we should want and run to the love of the Father because of what Jesus has done for us. Like we should be compelled to run to the grace and the mercy of Jesus because of what he has done for us. And just for a moment, as we slow down, I want you to be reminded again of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you picture Jesus dying on a cross? Whatever that looks like in your mind's eye, just know that he did that for you. The Bible says that he sacrificed his life so that you could be back with a loving father. He built a bridge for you. And the Bible says that if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, that not only do you take upon the death of Jesus Christ, but you also take upon the resurrection of Jesus. Because the Bible says that three days later, he was resurrected from the dead. And at that moment in time, he broke sin's power. He broke the the power of death. And he offers us all. The freedom that comes, the salvation that comes, the, transform, the transformation that comes, the, 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 here it is, the abundant life that comes from Jesus. And so what I want to do just for a moment is I'm going to ask you today, if that's not your story, if you've never taken that step of faith, I want to invite you to take that step. I want to pray for you, and I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If you would like to have this be your prayer, just say it with me. Church, I don't want anybody to pray alone in here, and so we're all going to pray together. But if you would like to take this step of faith and enter into a relationship with Jesus, then let's pray together. Repeat these words Heavenly Father, I need a Savior. Would you forgive me of my sins? I humble myself like a child. I surrender myself to you. Will you be Lord of my life? Would you begin the process of changing me? Healing me? Filling me with your spirit? I choose this day to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we just celebrate everybody that's making decisions today? And we're so proud of you. I want to invite you to stand. As we continue in this moment of worship, let's, don't be distracted. Stay in this moment because God has still more to do. Let's just begin to honor him and worship him and love him. Because of everything that he's done on our behalf, can we do that, church? Let's just begin to worship him. God, we thank you. We praise you. We give you glory and honor. Oh, Jesus, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us. God, we love you. Hallelujah. Come on, church, let's just begin to worship. Thank you, Lord.